All right. Welcome back to the Camera Therapy Podcast. I am Damien Armstrong. And I'm Aline Morteza. And today we're talking about shooting handheld and just our perspectives on it. And we're just going to kind of go through different reasons why you should consider it. Um, because it might save your ass and other reasons. It's just more efficient in other ways. But yeah, let's talk all about that. Let's get right into it. Yeah, I'm so excited for this one because honestly, it feels like with the advancement in technology and stuff, all this stabilizing gear is just taking over and people are not paying attention to why they're using it. They're just spending money in the wrong places. And we're all about intentionality on this podcast. So yeah, and I've all... I'll just say this from now, guys. Like, I've, I have a gimbal. I have a drone. I have a monopod. I have a tripod. I've had a, what is that called? What is the thing? A slider. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been so long since I've used one. Yeah. I've had a slider. All those things have, like, a reason why you should use them. And we'll talk about that in a future podcast episode. But for me, because I like to be run on, run and gun, and because I do weddings, like, I like, being able to have that freedom of not being limited to you know what what kind of shot i can get and if you're like worried about all these other things that you have to use to get your shots that time that you're setting it up that time you're trying to master the shot trying to get it um you might miss it right if you shoot like live stuff events things where things don't happen again you might miss a shot just because you were too busy tinkering with your monopod or you know, your camera's on the tripod, someone bumped into it or something like that. So me, I love shooting handheld. I love the vibe of it. Um, you're, you have this ability, this unspoken ability to kind of just blend in with the crowd when you kind of look like everyone else. And for me, shooting weddings, like when the dancing happens, it's just easy for me to just kind of jump in with the crowd with a low light lens and just kind of just be present, you know, and if you're shooting things like that, like where people are dancing, you don't necessarily need stabilization because there's so much movement that you're not going to notice if the image is stabilized or not. I'm speaking from experience. My last camera was the GH5S. It had no stabilization in the body and I would shoot with the Sigma 18 to 35. So it was a pretty like, and I had an adapter. So it's like, it could be shaky, but um, if you have decently steady hands and you use some of the techniques I'm going to explain to you guys today when you're shooting handheld, um, you can make it work and you can definitely make it work in your favor. Yeah. What I'm going to be going into is more on like the non-wedding related stuff, but there are a lot of crossovers because weddings are similar to documentaries. You're in the moment capturing stuff. So we're going to see it from Damien's examples and then I'm going to jump right into mine with some documentary reasons why you shouldn't be considering all this extra gear. Yeah, like what if you're filming like a documentary about bears, right? And the bear's chasing you and you got to run and you have a tripod. You're pretty much dead. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, If you were shooting handheld, that might not happen. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But if you are shooting a documentary with bears, um, just run. (laughs) Ditch the gear. Or I learned this the other day. It's not important that you know how to run away from the bear. If you can at least outrun your friend then you'll survive. That's true. That's a good point. You need to have someone that can be the sacrifice bait. 
I'd probably outrun you and lean. I'm just saying. No, I don't think so. You don't think so? No, I've been I've been running for a long time. I can run, outrun you for sure. Okay, guys. I don't know about make... sprinting, but long distance, I'll destroy you. Okay, I would destroy this guy in a sprint. Probably. I could destroy this guy in a sprint wearing jeans. Yeah, but you also have long legs. And I'm black. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but no, you're not joking. You are black. I am. Hey, it's a real thing. Black people have certain twitch fibers. That that's why we can run fast. Anyway, I totally went off a little topic there, but it's still kind of on hand. So I have two examples. One example I want to share with you guys is if you guys ever seen the movie The Born Identity. So there's a lot of scenes in that movie where it was shot handheld. And the reason why they did that is because they were trying to give the film a more... I can't speak from the director's point of view, but I feel like when I watch, I'll speak from my point of view when I watch that film. The reason why I liked that movie stood out to me when I was younger because it had this certain look to it that a lot of films don't. Like every shot felt like I was right there. Every conversation, every fight scene, everything kind of just felt like a certain thing, just a certain vibe about it felt very, very, very different. Um, just it was very personal, out- right? Yeah, you felt like you were in the action. And the fight choreography in that movie was very interesting. So just, I remember there's this one scene where he jumps through a window from like the top of a building. And you could see whoever's holding the camera, like they're like right behind him. Um, And I just thought that was super cool. Like I was really into film when I was younger. And I remember noticing that movie and kind of researching it and finding that out. And it's cool to see someone kind of step outside of the norm, like of... You know, you have a major Hollywood set and you got millions of dollars from a studio and they were shooting handheld. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, and it's important to understand that with any creative choice you make, it's about the intention. So that style definitely fits that genre and that story. Um, Like you could definitely shoot it sleek and cool like some of the James Bond films. But I think the reason that movie worked so well is because it kind of strayed away from what's already been done. And it kind of shows that there isn't a one-size-fits-all answer. You can definitely break the rules or expectations. Yeah, and I was a big James Bond fan as a kid growing up. Were you a big James Bond fan? My dad was. He showed me a couple of films, like the older ones, um, but I really haven't kept up. Um, I love spy thrillers, though, um, but there's something about James Bond that just feels too clean to me. I like mine to be a bit more gritty. Yes. Have you seen The Born Identity, Born Supremacy? And- I haven't. I studied them, though. I've I've looked up a lot of uh, video essays and um, other articles on them, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Oh, you need to watch that movie. I don't even remember if they were really good. I just remember watching the cinematography and just being wowed by that. Yeah, I think they're still really good. There's a new. If someone wants a more modern example, um, if you watch Extraction on Netflix, um, that's another really great example where they have. I guess you can call it handheld, but it has one of the shots that you were talking about where they kind of follow people through buildings, um, and it's like this really long scene where they're the movie's called Extraction, and they're finally extracting the the target that needs to be saved and it's like that point in the movie where they're being chased and they're running away the camera follows them from like building to building inside a car outside of a car and it's just like this one long take i still have to okay then i gotta watch that because i haven't seen that yet yeah chris hemsworth oh 
I've never made that sound effect on this podcast yet, but here we are. We're getting comfortable. Yes, we are getting way too comfortable. Now you guys get to see the weird sides of us. Oh boy. This is where relationships start to fall apart. This is where the whole thing falls apart. This is where like, uh, I'm not ready for this level of commitment. Yeah. Any sponsorship I thought was coming, uh, you guys are too weird. <laughs> so one more story on a serious note. This is actually a serious story that happened. So, oh, it's not that intense though. It's just, this actually happened. So... My brother is a wedding filmmaker as well, and he's kind of, I don't want to say he's just starting, but he just started branching out on his own. So he started buying certain equipment, that kind of thing. And then I remember he told me that he applied to be a second shooter for this wedding videographer. He sends in like, you know, some of his videos and the guy looks it over and he's like, yeah, no, he's like, I can't hire you because uh, your footage is too shaky because his, his footage was handheld. But and just for the listeners to uh, clarify for them, was it unprofessionally shaky or was it just handheld? Just handheld. Okay, so there's a difference. There's a difference between someone who doesn't know how to hold a camera. Yes, and that's the thing, right? Like I watched because when I when my brother used to film with me when we lived in Toronto, I know how he films, and there's certain things that he would, and I'm going to talk about some of these techniques. Um, in a second that he used to do that I would tell him no don't do that do this like I would tell him where to place his elbow so that he could get a more stable shot if he's shooting handheld with no stabilization in the body or the lens so there's certain things you can do so that you can actually use the handheld footage and there's even certain things you can do kind of in post to kind of even make it just a little bit better so there is a way guys if you think about it it's kind of like shooting a gun um, exactly. there's, there's techniques you can do. You have to hold your breath. You have to take a certain stance and you can really stabilize your shot. Yeah. And honestly, one thing people got realized having stabilization in your lens is ideal, but here's the thing, guys, stabilization in your lens, any lens you get that has stabilization in it, you could pretty much add an extra thousand dollars to what that lens is going to cost easily, easily right and then another thing most prime i don't know any primes that have stabilization i'm sure there might be unless unless there's some out there that i don't know about which are, there might be but yeah it's rare though i it, i never see it and i shoot mostly in the cinema world and cine lenses never have stabilization exactly so i would say if you can try to get really good with not having anything not having any form of serious stabilization and that will take you to the next another level yeah so so yeah sorry i went off track there but essentially my brother sent um sent his stuff in the guy said it's too shaky i watched it back i said adrian honestly there's nothing seriously wrong with your footage here i'm like i think the problem is it's just it's just the social norm that you're supposed to be using a lot of stabilizers so that's probably that's just how the guy sees the world and how he sees filming because that's his style I'm like, if you're going to do something entirely different, not everyone's going to agree with that style. So um, it what it is what it is, right? Like you can't, I don't really know what to say. I mean, like that, that's what that guy said. I watched, personally, I watched his wedding films and I'm not going to say how I felt about his films, but to me, his shots, yeah, they were stabilized, that kind of thing. But the one thing I hated was that because his shots were stabilized, I felt like he was always so far back yeah from what was going on at this wedding and for me i hate that like i like 
I have a full frame camera and I still shoot in APS-C mode because I like the feeling of being closer. I like the feeling of being right in the action. So I don't think our really listeners know about your Switch yet. Oh, crap. Okay, so I went from my Micro Four Thirds GH5S to the Lumix uh, S5. Um, Lumix S5 is a full frame camera. It is a full frame camera. You, you can shoot like full frame with it but i use the crop mode on it because i want to shoot 4k 60 which means i can do like slow motion i can manipulate it where it's normal speed and then it's slow-mo i'm making and the reason why i shoot an aps-c is because um well because i want to shoot 4k 60 but yeah yeah so and that's my switch. just getting i think you're just getting acquainted with the camera and there isn't too much information out there on it professionally so as he learns more about it i think we'll get to share that with you guys too Yes, so as I learn more about it, guys, I'm going to try and do an actual shoot with it. And then once I do that, I will put out uh, a Tech Talk episode just about that camera and just let you guys know the lowdown on it. And I'm going to talk about the good, the bad. And uh, I'm also going to be out here trying to tell you why I think more people should be shooting Lumix because I've been shooting Lumix since 2017 and life has been good. If you come from Canon, I came from Canon. Um, I could at least definitely set you up where you're going to love the colors. You're going to love this camera. If you're shooting video, I think uh, Lumix is a really good option that a lot of people are not talking about. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. My brother didn't end up getting that job. And I just explained to him, you know, you know, styles are different, right? So handheld guys is not the worst thing you could do. Um, it's not wildly accepted, even by professionals, but couples, if you're doing weddings, they're not, they might just hire you because you're closer, because you're right in the action. And for me, that's why my couples love my stuff. So um, it's all a matter of people's perspective on how you work and your style. But me, I love shooting handheld. So I guess I'll take it from here with uh, an example of mine. Um, I've done some traveling recently. And I wasn't even using a proper camera per se. I was using a phone. Um, and part of the reason was I was using a phone because I just wanted to capture the moment. And I didn't want to worry about lugging a camera and whipping it out. And also when you're traveling, like there's possibilities you're going to damage your gear and get it lost. So that's what I opted for. And phones depending on the phone you have they might have some built-in stabilization but i wasn't using an extra gimbal per se um it was all handheld um and the reason that helps me get all the shots i need is because if i had to latch my phone onto a gimbal every time i thought i wanted to take a shot i'm gonna miss the shot a lot of the stuff that's happening on the road when you're traveling or doing any sort of documentary work like collecting b-roll for example i'm not talking about interviews but if you're just collecting like B-roll for your documentary, a lot of the times that stuff is going to just be in the moment and you have to be ready. So you've got two options. Either you're going to lug your gear and keep it on your gimbal all the time, which in my opinion isn't that realistic, um, or just be really good with shooting handheld footage and make the most out of that. Um, I can see handheld being a creative choice when it comes to filmmaking in terms of narrative films. Um, but that's something that I'm not going to tell you why you should or shouldn't do. I think every director has their reasons, but when it comes to everything else where 
it's more about being practical and getting the shot like weddings or documentaries really give give a shooting handheld a chance and the better you get at doing it handheld the better your footage is going to be when you have things that are like ibis or lens stabilization or even when you're on a gimbal it's not like you're wasting your time when you're learning how to shoot handheld all of that practice will translate over to you having better gimbal footage too because let me tell you i've seen people who have zero experience shooting close to zero they've picked up their first camera they just bought a gimbal they just dropped a bunch of cash on gear and i'm watching their footage and it feels like i'm on a ship where the boat's going up and down and yeah the horizon is straight but like everything's just going up and down and it just feels like you're gonna get seasick watching this footage um, there's a way you need to learn how to walk when you're shooting handheld and that kind of translates over to how you shoot when you're on a gimbal or a stabilizer of any sort so really learn it from the ground up the more manual and basic you keep your shooting styles the more you're going to learn and the more it's going to translate over to when you have better equipment you're not wasting your time at all when you're shooting handheld in my opinion whether you're doing this for the long run um, or if you're doing it to be practical i'd say try to shoot handheld when you can everything you said is totally true and like he just said guys it doesn't matter if you're shooting handheld or if you're shooting with a gimbal there's a technique to it there's a technique in the way you need to arch your back there's a technique in the way you need to bend your knees there's a technique in the way you um use your arm like where your arms should be and how you should be walking when you do it um to do it efficiently to do it properly and it starts with you when you're actually shooting and then it continues even when you're in post-production so the first thing I'm going to say is if you can get a good body that has image stabilization, then you can actually use the image stabilization in the body. And pretty much you can have a prime lens with no image stabilization um, and you're still going to have a very stable shot. So I got my new camera. The body has stabilization, but the lens does not. Um, but because the body does, I could be walking around my house getting shots as if I was on a tripod. So life is good. Um, that's that's one thing I would look at. There's a lot of cameras out today. The A7 III, the X-T3, does it have body stabilization? It does not. The X-T4 does, though. The X-T4 does. So Fuji has one. Canon has Canon's new uh, full-frame camera, R6, R5. They have body stabilization. And Sony does. I think I already said that. And some cameras have really good digital stabilization these days, too. I think the R5 is a good example of that. Um, it's digital stabilization is crazy good. I'm just blown away because what I've done like post digital, um, like you can do in premiere or final cut, um, sometimes it just looks wobbly. Um, but some cameras do it right in camera with a digital stabilization and it's crazy. Yeah. And sorry, even my camera, the camera I have, the S5 has in body stabilization, really good in body stabilization. And also has something called, uh, lock stabilization something like it's that. like it a has, is it it's kind of like a tripod mode right yes it's literally like you have your stabilization and then you click this little button and then it adds even more stabilization where it looks like you're on a tripod like that's how good it is so i program one of my buttons to be that and i literally just when i really need a stable 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 shot um, it even adds more. That's so, perfect for weddings. Yeah, I would use that if I'm trying to like rack focus, like trying to pull focus from like something in the background 
to the to the foreground and i need am i obviously i'm moving my hand on the on the focus on the focus wheel right so i'm obviously going to move my hands a little bit with the camera but even then it's still really stable and you don't see like my hand cause that shake yeah and you save a lot of time from like let me grab a tripod exactly so one my favorite tip for you guys and i gave my brother this tip is hold your elbows into your body so if you guys imagine you guys are standing there straight you have your camera in your hand your two your two hands on your camera first of all your left hand i would put on your lens your right hand i would put on the camera body and then you want to lock your elbows like the point of your elbows right into your hip or if you have little arms just put it right into your just right into your side you just want to lock it right into your side and then try moving when you move the camera use keep your elbows locked in to your hips but just move your hands to move the camera around you essentially are an ex the camera is now essentially an extension of your body that's what you want to look at it as the camera is an extension of your body it's not like you're operating the camera with your whole arm imagine your 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 camera is now just an extension of your yeah, body you kind of want to lock your joints and move them independently exactly so that's the best way I could explain it um, without showing you literally in a video. Yeah, I think if we uh, we can, we can throw up a, a, an example on our Instagram if they want to check it out. Yeah, so, you know, we'll upload a video just to show you guys that. Yeah, you can kind of see what he looks like when he's doing it and then the result as well. Um, do you want to explain the next point, uh, the next strap? Yeah, yeah, I, I love this one because every camera you buy comes with a neck strap. But when I shoot video, I always take it off just personally because it gets in the way. But it's a really good stabilization trick if you don't feel comfortable doing the method he just described. Um, what you can do is put the neck strap on your camera, uh, wrap the neck strap around your neck, and just stretch it out as far as it goes. And what this does is the tension you're creating between your body and the camera is helping you get a much more stable shot. Whereas if you were just holding it, if you're somebody who has shaky hands, um, you're eliminating that natural shake by adding that tension between the camera strap and your body and your hands. And that's a really good way for you to, a really cheap and good way for you to do it. Um, I wouldn't do it long term because I think you're going to probably hurt yourself over time. But if you're in a pinch, definitely use that trick. And another one that I like if you have a handle or something where your hands get away from the body itself. If you're someone who aches to shoot with like a cage around your camera. It's not everybody's style, but doing that allows you to, one, add some weight to your camera because they are getting lighter and lighter these days. But two, the further away your hand is from the sensor of the camera, the more stable it will be. You're going to introduce less shake naturally when your hands are further away from the camera body itself. I was going to say, just to play off what you just said, and I know this is going to sound funny because I'm like totally just repping someone else here, but he's from Toronto. You guys know who he is. What's up, everybody? Peter McKinnon has a really good video on camera stabilization that I saw a few years ago. And he talks about using a camera strap. And he had this technique where, like, he has pretty much what you just said. Like, he extends it all the way. And then what he does is, to get, a, like, an artistic shot, what he'll do is he'll hold the camera really far out from him with the camera strap on his neck. And then he'll start to make himself fall forward. And then he'll wait till the very last second to catch himself 
um, to get a certain kind of shot where like you would have to see it to understand, but yeah, um, I can I envision, seeing... I can envision what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So he does a like his style of videography is very like, he does a lot of travel films and a lot of flashy transitions and stuff like that. So he teaches, I don't remember if he taught it in a video where he's talking about stabilization or if it was just about how to do unique transitions, but he has this video where he talks about that and he like falls forward and you see the shot and you're just like, oh, that's cool. Like, cause a lot of people use transitions where you got to pay for them mm -hmm. um, in like packs and stuff, but you can also do your own organic transitions that are kind of just like, just utilizing your body and just understanding certain things. Um, I actually have a very interesting one that I use. Do you know what I'm talking about? Are you about? talking I feel about like the I'm... one where you like almost do the splits? Yes. And you like just guy, those... become like a, a human slider? yes yeah see i love that one and it, it works Adrian, great for him because he's so like he's got long legs so he can he's got like his it's more like people have two feet three feet sliders this guy's going like almost four or five feet across <laughs> that's accurate yeah if you're tall even if you're not tall you can still like, pull you can, this off you can but... still pull it off it's just you might have a shorter reach but it's still impressive and it saves time and that's what this is all about yeah so I guess you could, uh, if I could explain it to you guys over here, I'll definitely put this on the Instagram, but essentially what I do is I stand where both my legs are pretty much 90 degrees and I will lean from one side to the next. If I'm trying to get a shot that's horizontal, I will lean to each leg. And once again, you're still going to implement the same strategy I spoke about first, where you lock your elbows into your side. You don't want, you want the camera to be an extension. So now you really want to try and hold the camera. So you want your arms to be as close to your body as possible. And you want to focus on just the only movement you really want to focus on making is going to be from your legs. So you just want to shift your legs um, from side to side and yeah. kind of slowly. And to clarify, you're never move. You're never picking up your feet. Your feet stay locked into the ground. Yeah, it's more your hips um, are the ones that are the moving part of your body, and everything else is like locked in tight. Yeah, and then if you want to do the shot, um, not horizontally. I'm not gonna say vertically, but if you're doing like, like front, front to, to back, back. Yeah, you could turn your body, go front to back. The same rules apply, and. Uh, yeah, you just want to focus on leaning into your, like leaning that knee forward as if you're doing like a squat. Yeah. But you're not going to, your back leg, you're not going to really, it depends on how you're shaped. Some people will have to bend. Yeah. Um, but you want to do it slow enough that it mimics a slider shot. Yeah. And if it's not obvious to you guys already, being a camera operator is a physically taxing job. Yeah. You should probably be regularly exercising and stretching and keeping fit because... You're going to injure yourself on long days if you're just camera operating by yourself. Yes. Another thing you could do too is while you're doing this this dolly move, you could actually put the camera on a camera strap and give yourself a, even a little bit more reach if you wanted to as well. So I would say go slow enough. If you shoot in 4K60, you could slow it down in post by half and you could make the shot even a little bit longer or slower, that kind of thing, or faster. Yeah. So... If you guys really sit back and think about it for a second, the possibilities are endless. Um, or hopefully from this episode, you're going to get that. You can see like you don't always need all this gear. There's ways to do it. Um, you could still be creative with nothing. 
I guess this episode is really outside the box, but that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to come at it from a different perspective. I'm going to share you my secrets. Aline's going to share you his secrets. Not all of them. <laughs> Not all of them. Um, the last thing I was going to mention, actually, you know what? As far as how to be more stable, another thing, if you do have a lens that is that does have image stabilization, like a 24 to 70 or a 24 to 105 or something like that, what I would advise is shoot as wide as you can. The problem is when you zoom your lens out, the barrel goes further away from the cam from the camera sensor. When that happens, it's harder for your camera. It's harder for your image to be stable. Yeah. And if you need a quick so, example, like look out your phone and zoom in all the way and see how shaky it looks. It's the same idea. Um, when you zoom out, the footage looks more stable. But the more you zoom in, it's harder to keep that steady because it picks up every micro movement. Yeah, that's actually the best way that you guys can kind of get a get an idea of what we're talking about. And so if you guys have a lens, a camera lens, a 24 to 70, shoot at like 24 and that will give you more stable footage as well. Um, if you're shooting with a prime, obviously that doesn't really, you know, you're, you're stuck with whatever focal length you have. But if you do have a zoom lens, uh, the wider, the better if you're trying to get a more sta stable handheld shot. My favorite lens to shoot handheld, uh, just kind of, kind of run and gun lens, is still the eighteen to thirty-five. I love that lens so much that um, it's on my full frame camera and it's an APS-C. Yeah, that's a great lens. Yeah, it's a really great lens because it. Yeah, it's a, it's just so sharp that it might as well be a prime. Yeah, it's like two, three primes in one. So if you don't know about that lens, check it out. If you got questions about, you know, what you can, what camera you can adapt that to, hit me up. I'll let you know what's up. I've, I've used two adapters now for this thing. So yeah, hit me up and I'll answer any questions you have. So the last section I want to talk about is why should you shoot handheld? This part is coming from us. It's obviously a little bit more personal than fact. But I think we got some arguable uh, points that we've made in this whole episode. So I'm just going to hit you guys with the facts on why I think you should shoot handheld. So the first thing, I'll do the first one, being able to get dynamic shots that you won't see all the time. So this kind of goes back to the story I was talking about when I'm filming weddings. I don't have a lot of time um, to get the shots that I want just are set up for the shots that I want. So in an effort to make sure I don't miss anything, um, I shoot handheld. There's a lot of times where the bride will start walking. Things will start moving in motion and maybe you didn't have time to do what you want to do. Uh, being able to shoot handheld, I could literally run up to the front of a church before the bride's about to walk in and get a quick shot. You know, I might do that whack, that dolly shot I just mentioned to you earlier to like get like an establishing shot super wide of the venue and then you know um i need to get that quick and then i need to be able to run into the church right away like if i had a tripod if i had to set up a tripod or a monopod i wouldn't have time to get all those shots it would take too long um even if you're trying to be quick it's just not very efficient another random reason i want to mention is that liability if you guys are shooting for a client and you have to set up tripods stuff like that if you don't have that stuff into the ground uh, someone could walk and knock your tripod over. I've heard many stories like that. Yeah, too many. I've seen it happen. Um, another thing, if you're at a wedding and there's kids running around, they trip over your tripod and break their face or break their arm or something. Technically, you're liable for that unless you have insurance with, you know, um, 
what's it called like business insurance that's on that's you. on you that's a problem and that goes for anything else you have whether you have lighting light stands anything like that if you guys don't have an efficient way of setting that stuff up then that could be a problem for you so that's another reason why i shoot handheld one less thing i gotta worry about that's pretty much why i love shooting handheld but do you want to do the the next yeah yeah when you're handheld you can focus on just you know being creative getting a shot um, but when you have to worry about bringing around a tripod, bringing around a stabilizer, a gimbal, you're adding more to your plate, you're slowing down your day, you're losing time, you're losing energy. So when you have just you and the camera and nothing else to worry about, that results in you having more time and energy to be creative and think about the shots you want to get. And part of creativity is embracing limitations and working around it. And when you don't have a monopod or a tripod or a gimbal, you're going to find ways to get the shot regardless. Uh, you might do things that you might have never thought of. If you really want a rock steady shot, you might place your camera on a nearby ledge or a tree or something, and you'll get an angle that you never thought of because you would have just put it on a tripod before. So staying handheld and staying with minimal gear, um, to me, it's an opportunity for you to maximize creativity. Definitely. I de and honestly, like everything you just said, that's that, in a nutshell, is why I shoot handheld at weddings. And um, for the past year and a half, I've actually been shooting with a monopod. Um, but because of my new camera, it has stabilization in the body. I'm going to be able to shoot handheld. And that's just going to free me so much. I won't have to bring certain gear. And it'll just make me feel more loose during the day. I can focus on my client because I'm not focused on like all this gear that I have to carry. Yeah, and you don't have to put it somewhere and be like, oh, shit, is someone going to take it or i'll just like forget it like in a hotel room or something yeah and you have to like drive halfway back oh man it's happened so i'm speaking from experience yeah yeah there you want to minimize everything that can go wrong yeah and there's a time and place to have these things i don't hear enough about the reasons why we shouldn't be using these things and there's just way too much emphasis on gear and part of what i want to provide with this podcast hopefully is an alternative narrative to what people hear online because online, all you're going to hear is about like, oh, this is the newest tech, this is the newest gear, you should buy this and buy that. I'm not here for that. I'm here to just tell you what will fuel your creativity. Yeah, and we're all, we were strong advocates of kind of just, you know, being minimalist or just kind of making do with what you have, using the camera that you have to your, um, that's where I'm looking for, using the camera that you have. Yeah to the best of its ability yeah we didn't start on nothing special uh we are where we are now but that's just coming from i can tell you over the years i have a lot of camera gear and i've downsized so much just because you know i've learned to just do more with less so i would highly recommend it will save you so much time and money if you learn how to do more with less so sometimes having too much uh can kind of kill your creativity um, it also could make you lazy, to be honest with you. When you feel like you have all this stuff to work with, um, you kind of kind you kind of become dependent on it. But if you're in a situation where you ha all you can use is really your body, um, you're gonna like he was saying before, you're gonna find a way to get that shot, and you'll you'll figure out how to do it creatively. Yeah, and that's another thing, guys. Um, gimbals, I like gimbals, but you're not gonna pull a gimbal out the box, and you're just gonna figure it out. You know, it's going to take time to learn that and it will take you just as much time to learn 
how to shoot handheld. Um, there's an art to it. There's a skill to it, no matter which way you decide to go. You know what's a good example we didn't talk about? Yo, remember that music video we shot together? Yes. Do you want to tell the story about like how we... Um, I think you could probably share this perspective better because you were the actual cinematographer on it. But can you talk about like just like how we used the stabilizer versus when we shot handheld and tripod and all that? Yeah, I remember they wanted to shoot on the Alexa Mini, um, which I was already not a fan of for that project. Um, we had no time. We had one night to shoot it, not even full 12 hours. Guys, so Elaine's like, so, so petty about this story. I'm just like, you know. I know. <laughs> I, I wanted to go small and light so we could hurry up and get our shots, but they're like, no, we're going to shoot on the Alexa Mini. And I'm like, at the end of the day, sometimes when you're working for a client and they're paying you, you got to listen to them. Um, then it's an Alexa Mini. That thing's not going to sit on a Ronin S. It's not going to sit on those handheld gimbals. That thing needed the full-size Ronin. That's heavy. They also didn't have the vest for it which would make it easier for me to operate. I had to do that thing just with my tiny arms. And the footage was fine, but I don't think that that was the best camera setup I would have used if they wanted gimbal shots, especially because the footage, when you look back at it, I could have done a lot better, a lot faster with different gear. And this is me trying to explain that the bigger gear isn't the best choice all the time. And to top it off, when we ended up watching the video, because we weren't the ones editing it, they were, um, Damien was on the shoot with me and he had some ideas for a shot and it was all handheld. We ended up liking those shots a lot more than whatever they had planned. I think the gear slowed us down a lot. So I wasn't happy with whatever comes with that camera choice. Like everything's heavier, the tripod's heavier. Uh, the gimbal is heavier and then I'm like, okay, well now I need more people to lug this around and we didn't have enough people. So even on a professional set, like I would, I would still opt for going as small as possible. To give people some perspective, what, what camera would you have recommended? Like what, if you could have chose the camera? I would have ideally, if I could choose it today, it would be the Sony A7S III. I would have shot on that night. Back then, that wasn't out because that camera took forever to come out. I would have shot on something else that's really good in low light because they wanted to shoot this at night indoors. And we had some lighting, but not enough to light up the whole place. So I was like, we need a good low light camera. And honestly, these guys were not professional color graders either. So the color grading was a bit off in the end. Yeah, we um, shot in log, um, which wasn't a good idea. Uh, because we're shooting indoors we don't need to shoot in log we don't need the extra dynamic range but we were shooting in log and then they didn't even correct the log footage it was just sitting in log yeah and if you're doing a music video by the way guys i would definitely shoot handheld there's a lot of amazing uh, uh music video directors that just shoot handheld check out creative ryan i've mentioned him before check out yc imaging those guys are amazing music video directors from atlanta and a lot of the stuff i've seen them do has been handheld and he knows how to do certain things just literally utilizing his hands he's not using like cranes and anything crazy like that so uh check him out those are two guys i can mention off the top of my head that i know shoot music videos handheld and their stuff is bomb he also sells amazing products if you're trying to do music videos which i've used in other videos you were taught i feel like there's a lesson to be learned here um in what aline was talking about and it's that the customer is not always right you know a lot of the time if people are gonna hire you to do something 
they have to trust that you know what you're talking about. In this case, the client was just like, I just want the best of the best. And for a lot of reasons, it didn't make sense. Shooting in log, it didn't make sense because we were in a place that had really bad lighting. Um, the whole yeah, there was no high contrast yeah. scenes there. There's no dynamic range issues. Yeah. The camera setup was kind of a mess in the sense that we didn't need everything that was going on. And to give you guys some, some perspective, Aline was handling the camera, and then I and then he had a separate monitor and a whole thing set up to it where. I was just pulling focus. They had to rent a venue. I'm not going to say what the venue was, but I'll tell you guys, this is a venue that's literally really close to the CN Tower. And they probably had to spend a good chunk of change just to rent this venue. So being efficient was probably the best way to go. And they didn't do that. So in terms of you being a cinematographer, you need to educate your clients. You need to, There needs to be some level of trust because honestly, in some cases, it's not worth the headache for you to be in a situation where they don't trust you and now everything falls apart, right? And that's your reputation on the line. Yeah, and this is kind of going into a different episode topic I want to go into when it comes to how to build your business and reputation and how to work with clients. But to keep it short, um, it's not easy. Um, dealing with clients. It's not clear cut. There's going to be times where you're going to have to take the L and do projects you're not happy with to build your portfolio sometimes. Um, or sometimes that could just mean that you're building your portfolio and working on projects that you have full creative control over, but you don't get paid. Either way, you'll be t you're going to be taking an L. If this is the type of person you are, I'm speaking for myself, I'm not just a technical camera operator for hire. That's what they were treating me as. That's not who I am. I'm someone who has creative opinions. I have creative taste. I want to offer that when I'm hired. That's what I want to be hired for. And what I learned from that experience was that I haven't established myself enough to warrant being hired in that way. So I still need to work on getting more projects done to show that I'm not just a cameraman for hire. Yeah. To kind of conclude for you guys, sometimes less is more. Sometimes it's better to just kind of be more self-aware um, rather than adding all this gear to your to the situation. Um, sometimes for me, having shoot for about 10 years now, I shoot handheld. I love shooting handheld. It kind of keeps me in a, in a space where I feel like I'm able to just be creative and focus on that. I have a drone. I have a gimbal, a stable. Like I have... A, a tripod, a monopod, all this. They have their times when I do use them, but um, for the most part, guys, I love when it's just me and two lenses. Me, my camera, and two lenses, and I'm good to go. That's all I need to be creative, to be honest with you. I don't need all this other stuff. If you told me I couldn't have all this other stuff, I'd be like, cool, I don't care. All right, guys, that's it for this episode. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to hit us up on our Instagram at the Camera Therapy Podcast. We'll see you in the next one.